This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Like if Spooktober were a cereal, what would it be? Bookberries. Sp- spooky crisp. Oh, I see. Welcome <laughs> to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. You looked like you needed some help there oh, getting yeah. into it. So I I that's what I came up with. <laughs> There's no no wrong answers in brainstorming. Hey, spaghetti against the wall. It all tastes good. That's how mm-hmm. that's my rule. Spooketti is a ghost favorite pasta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh pasta for bull. <laughs> <laughs> More like pasta for ghoul. Am I right? Oh uh, yeah, that's better. Crap. All right, this is gonna be an interesting episode of our show. Did you hear about the ghost who haunts the deli? He's a gabagool. <laughs> <laughs> you got any more no i'm well who knows okay we'll <laughs> but, see where but this... if you want to start our podcast where every week we talk about a book that we've never read before and we tell each other about it and the audience at home about it and in october we do spooky ones then we can get on with the show okay let's let's do that don't know where this one's gonna go i think we're i think I think we're going to talk about the novel Peace by Gene Wolfe. I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know what else we're going to talk about, but I bet we're going to talk about other stuff because this book is a good one. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, we could just do what Gene Wolfe does and do whatever we want, and then it's on the audience at home to figure out what it's about. Oh, heck yeah. (laughs) Which is a very pejorative... read of what a gene wolf book is about <laughs> but you may remember if you've been listening to the show for a few months we read uh, gene wolf's the ziggurat a short story back in february of 2021 no i would have told you i would have told you that it was three years ago you legitimately me scared to, me more than anything <laughs> yep yep if you had asked me i would have said it was three years ago and i know like we've got the pandemic and there's you know political and climate unrest and i've like changed jobs so there's like there's like a lot of things in there that can make the span of time feel like more than it is but when i saw that it was in february i yeah i uh i was not happy about it like yeah. i was i was a little scared of the <laughs> failures of my own like mental faculties uh-huh but anyway, when uh, when I read that one, that's the only time that we've ever paused the show midstream so I could go read the read the book again <laughs> because there was so because so the thing with the ziggurat is like it, it's it's a guy in the woods and either he like actually found aliens or he did some weird thing where he killed his ex wife and is like having a physical relationship with his stepkids or something yeah. like it is. And there's been a lot written about the various interpretations, and that's just a hallmark of Gene Wolfe's work. And so when I was reading stuff about peace, 
which you read for the show, I found a couple of different like competing theories about what it was about. Yeah. But I think the right answer is that there isn't a right answer. There's like the consensus answer. So but the, I think you're yeah. also invited to make of it what you will as a reader. Yes. So I think the way that this conversation will go, we are not going to stop and restart the pod. I don't think we'll have to do that. We don't have time to do that. Um, you can go back and listen to episode 458 if you want that whole roller coaster of emotions. From February of yeah. this calendar <laughs> oh year. Oh my God. Um, but a hallmark of this book is what it does not tell you. And when I say that out loud, it sounds like uh, a little trite, but I I don't think it plays as trite. It's just the way that the book works, and it, it, it works in a way that is... Uh, only a novel can do it like it's very endemic to the art form that's not the right word but it's um the way that he changes topic the narrator does or uh puts in a different memory at the before showing you the conclusion to a to another one um is all very purposeful Mm -hmm. and it does create this miasma of possibilities (laughs) That did you make that up or did somebody say that? I made that up just now? A miasma of possibility where the narrator of this book is anyone from he is a person, we'll get into this, named Alden Weir, and he could be just an old man. Think about his life, he mm-hmm. could be a dead man forced to confront parts of his life, mm-hmm. he could be Satan's spawn. And in between all of those possibilities, he may or may not have done a full lethal Skyrim run of his life or not. Like, we don't really know what he did. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, he, like he, instead of, you know, taking the diplomatic option in most of he the quests, he just killed everyone. We don't right. really know for sure. Uh-huh. Um, and so it, I was surprised and excited by how quickly I found like the K-hole of the internet where everyone was wondering what this book was up to mm-hmm. everywhere from the Gene Wolf wiki to the Gene Wolf subreddit where shout out to whichever listener talked about our Ziggurat episode on the Gene Wolf subreddit and the people were pretty kind even though I think they think we tried our best and still didn't figure everything out about that story but very nice yeah of them. The, the overwhelming sentiment is that we didn't get it which is fine <laughs> like it's it's fine not it's not for not for lack of trying I'll no. tell you that um, and real quick I do want to shout out Jay uh, one of our Patreon supporters who did recommend this book Jay said homework I'd like to recommend Peace by Gene Wolf preferably the edition with the spooky cover andrew i'm going to send you this cover yeah i'll be the judge of whether this is spooky in our slack this is not the cover of the edition that i read um i want to zoom in on that cover a little bit Ooh, it's got a bunch of fun witches and skeletons <laughs> yeah <laughs> like peeking out behind the word peace uh-huh very spooky not quite what's going on it's like <laughs> But it's like cereal box spooky though. It's yeah. not like it's not like adult spooky. <laughs> the the cover of the one I read is more recent and it's uh the edition I had I have also has an afterward by Neil Gaiman um and it's like a you know a sad dead tree 
like on the yeah. Top, that's now that's some spooky stuff. Yeah, like, so is, it, is the tree dead? Is it just winter? Um, what, what's this tree seen? How who planted it? How long ago? It's so funny to me. Um, yeah. But thank you, thank you, Jay, for recommending this book. What do we before we take our break and then come back and try to dive in? What do we need to know or refresh ourselves about Gene Wolfe, just so that we have a sense of who we're talking about today, Andrew? I mean, we talked about him literally ten minutes ago, apparently. So uh, we know he was a, was an American uh, sci-fi and fantasy author. He was born in 1931, died in 2019, so pretty recently. Yep. Um, and he's best known for a three-book series called The Book of the New Sun series. Okay. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much the thing. Like, he is, he is a... Like everybody who writes like creepy stuff or sci-fi or fantasy, like most of them are big Gene Wolfe fans. Yeah. I don't know like what his, like the the extent to which he's broken out into like mainstream literature apart from, yeah, I don't know. Like this, I was reading a review in, I think the LA review of books that said when, when peace was published in 1975, uh, it says that it was originally marketed as a mainstream novel. So like somebody yeah. was trying to get Gene Wolfe to, to break on through to the other side, <laughs> mainstream popularity wise. 70s reference works for me. Uh, <laughs> um, but this, this author whose, uh, whose name is, is that the, um, Joan Gordon, Joan Gordon, yeah, writing at the LA review of books yeah. says, uh, yet when I reread the novel for this review, this is a review that came out in 2013. Uh, It still seemed like a work of mainstream realism with psychological explanations for its ghosts. It isn't that I think I'm right and that and that they're wrong. They they being people who have more like supernatural explanations for the things that are going on. Um, But that this novel contains many readings, as many readings, perhaps, as there are readers, which is as it should be. And Mm. that was my definitely my experience of, of Ziggurat was even reading it, knowing what everybody'd said, the like the the quote real version of it was. Yeah, I was still having trouble like breaking away from the more, I guess like the more fantastical, but also the more straightforward read of the book, like the more literal read of the book. Sure, so that was the trouble I had with Ziggurat. Sure, sure. Um, other bio stuff that is like relevant to this book, we mentioned on the last pod that he. Uh, after he got back from the Korean War, he got a degree in engineering. He worked on the Pringles machine, the machine that turns potatoes into Pringles. <laughs> okay. I was wondering if that was like code for some kind of bomb or something. <laughs> no. um, and so there's a big a big through line of this book is the main character becoming uh, working in and then becoming the president of this orange drink manufacturing business. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of it's... It, it's probably Tang is what the book is describing it as. Um, sure. I mean, the time, because well, Tang was like a space age thing, right? So like. Yeah. 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 The, the timing makes sense. Um, and so there's a whole bit of engineering stuff in this book that's probably drawn from his experience. And also um, one of the, I read an article about this book in, or a Q&A with him, excuse me, in the technology, technologyreview.com, it says in 2014. Um, that talked about his time in Korea and the in the Korean War, and he came back like with some you know intense trauma from it, uh, and drew some connections between his experience there and the I won't the look away from the horrific thing in this book, which and 
the way that that can feed into double and triple meanings of events. Um, but kind of like one way to talk about the horror of an event like the Korean War or the you know things that happen in this book is to actually not show you any of them and just kind of leave that space there for your imagination to fill in a horror. And that's probably as best as you're going to do as a writer to, to do the the actual horror justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that interview, he does confirm one of the readings of the book. Ooh. Um, which I don't I don't want to say at this point in our discussion. Maybe we say it at the end or like yeah, yeah, it we comes should, up we, in the middle somewhere. And, and because like, every a, a number of the discussions I read about this book, like it's a book you can get a lot out of even if you know what's going on. And I tr- trust me, you will leave this podcast not really knowing what's going on in that book. So <laughs> you can still have a good time going reading it, even if I tell you what Gene Wolfe said about how the book works. So what, so what you're saying, it was easier to sum up, say, The Invisible Man yeah. for our audience than it will be to summarize peace. Uh, correct, Amundo. Okay, so right, if you want it. a neat and tidy plot summary, go listen to last week's episode <laughs> again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want a miasma of possibilities, this is the week for you. <laughs> Boy. Should we take a quick break and then I'll try and explain this book? Oh yeah, I thought that was I thought your trailing off there was gonna be where we put the music in to do the break. No, I'll just but put no, it right you, here. But you, you need to formally invite me. So let's yes, let's yes. Yes, let's you're a vampire. Break. I have to invite you into you have the to invite ad break. me in. All right, everybody. Come on in with us to our break. Hey. Hi. It's Craig here. Oh, from Overdue. Yeah. But I want to tell you about another podcast, Andrew, from Overdue. Okay. It's a podcast called Book Dreams, and it's a show for everyone who loves books and misses English class. In each episode, co-hosts Julie Sternberg and Evie Halem explore all sorts of topics and the books that engage with them. They talk about cookbooks. They talk about magicians. How do you feel about magicians, Andrew? Magicians are great. Great. Unless they're evil. Ooh. necromancers yes uh-huh uh they uh-huh. also talk about long-running children's series like the babysitter's club they're out here andrew talk about the book topics that you can't stop thinking about <laughs> babysitter's club those were they were wizards at babysitting you know they were a kind of magician when you think about it mm-hmm. think about great author interviews like ones with david uh levithan or jesse satanto dig into differences between memoirs and fiction start dreaming about books with book dreams it's brought to you by the Podglomerate, and new episodes run every Thursday. And you can listen by subscribing to Book Dreams on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to Overdue. Craig, you know what the kids love today? What? You know what the kids love? They love Minecraft. Fortnite. Roblox. Yeah. They love robots, which is different from robots. Whoa, GoBots. At least when I was a kid, I loved robots. <laughs> um, if you've got kids at home and you want to encourage them in these or similar pursuits, let me tell you about our sponsor, ID Tech Camp. Uh, with ID Tech, the world leader in STEM education, your kids will explore science, tech, engineering, and math topics not covered in school as they are prepared for a future that demands literacy in these crucial fields. Uh, listeners of Overdue can save $150 on a weekly small group semesters or get started with a one-on-one tutoring lesson for just $49. Whoa. Um, I was looking through their 
game development courses and I saw classes in uh, Minecraft modding, in uh, making like retro style two dimensional games, uh, stuff about like Oculus and VR and uh, coding in multiple programming languages like JavaScript and Python. If you want to encourage your kids to learn more about STEM and to learn more about their favorite hobbies, go to idtech.com slash overdue right now and use the code overdue to save $150 on weekly small group semesters. For a limited time, you can also get started with a one-on-one tutoring lesson for just $49. That's code overdue at idtech.com slash overdue. Save $150 and your child can start learning online from a live instructor right now. That's idtech.com slash overdue okay andrew peace by gene wolf yeah um so let me read you like one or two top level elevator pitches for what this book might be <laughs> like in an elevator and somebody starts trying to tell me about peace by gene wolf <laughs> Please. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna hit that fire alarm button. I'm like, I'm not doing this. The soon as the soon as the door closes, I just grab you by the lapels and I need to tell you about peace. <laughs> I don't know if he's a ghost or what. Um, from that LA Review of Books article that you mentioned called "We Read Things Differently," um, here's the summary: Peace is narrated by Weir as a middle-aged man suffering some kind of mental breakdown caused by overwork and loneliness. His memoir is largely a response to the thematic apperception test. Each question triggers a long and detailed set of memories. So that test that is mentioned uh, multiple times throughout the book, the POV character Alden Weir spends time with uh, Dr. Van Ness uh, who is asking him to like kind of respond almost to inkblot te- some sort of inkblot test, um, and these trigger these these memories that he goes off on. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now I I also I read the same piece and I pulled that same quote because uh, Joan Gordon, the author again of that piece, says like this is this is the take that I had when I originally read this book years ago. It is the take I still like, but I recognize that it's not like the canonical take as represented by like the, the gaming afterward and by the way that, you know, people who are in the sci-fi community talk about this book. Um, uh, I have to admit that the ghost story is probably the correct interpretation, although I vehemently d- disagree that Wolf's goal is to confound the reader. He o- does often confound me, but that is my limitation and not his. So, Craig, if you are confounded, that's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, it's a the – what's the ghost story interpretation, right? Sure. Like, my understanding is that the book starts with, like, a tree dying, and then you pick up through little breadcrumbs – that characters in the book are talking about like planting a tree on the main character's grave after he dies or something like that. Is that right? Okay. So, so yes, that is a, that is a thing that does happen. And when I read it, I was like, cool, that's a tree that fell down on your house. Interesting. Um, and then I had to learn about the ghost part later. Um, on the OF blog, uh, blogspot.com, uh, Alden Dennis Weir on the surface appears to be a somewhat embittered old man struggling through the last days of his life, suffering from a stroke. Weir reminisces about scenes from his childhood, all the while reflecting upon certain rooms in his old Midwestern house. So he's wandering around this house 
being like, oh, I kind of built parts of this house to like reflect parts of my life and I didn't really have full control over the architect. There's some rooms I don't really recognize. I can't find my knife. I can't find my Boy Scout knife. Can you? He's like talking to the reader like, I gotta limp around my house and find my Boy Scout knife and it's really Mm -hmm. bugging me. But now I'm in this house that reminds me of my aunt. Let me talk about my aunt for 30 pages. So, so uh, you, you get an idea of the protagonist as somebody who is like at least confused or like I know like Wolf's whole thing yeah. is unreliable narrators. Yes, correct. And mm-hmm. so like I, I you probably knew that going in from the Ziggurat conversation. Yes. Because of how recently we had it. <laughs> Never going to stop being mad about how recently we talked about the Ziggurat. It's not Gene Wolf's fault. It's yep. the world's fault. Yeah. It just, he's just caught up in the middle of it. That's true. Um, and then there's the ghost version. I have this quote pulled from the, uh, from the Gordon piece. A ghost haunts the memory places of his life. The title alludes to Weir's quest for peace as he revisits his memories in the hope of finding a meaning to his former life. Um, so the, the ghost version uh, let me just read the very beginning of the book to you. Okay. Um, you tell me. Uh, the elm tree planted by Eleanor Bold, the judge's daughter, fell last night. I was asleep and heard nothing, but from the number of shattered limbs and the size of the trunk, there must have been a terrible crashing. I woke. I was sitting up in my bed before the fire, but by the time I was awake, there was nothing to hear but the dripping of the melting snow running from the eaves. I remember that my heart pounded and I was afraid I was going to have an attack, and then fuzzily thought that perhaps the heart attack had wakened me, and then that I might be dead. Hmm. So, like, right away, there's nothing in that graph that's like, yo, this tree fell down and woke up a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> but there's nothing in that graph that precludes that the notion that. <laughs> of a tree falling down and waking up a ghost. Well, and if you if you know the the ghost interpretation, you're like, oh, you were, you were, quote, asleep and you didn't hear anything because you're dead. You're dead and you're a ghost. <laughs> Andrew, I read someone, okay, there's a whole series of stuff by this guy named Robert Borsky, who I read several essays by him that pointed out that the guy's name is like Alden Dennis Weir. Did you know that Dennis backward is the word sinned? Think about it. Um, Whoa, that does, wow. That explains a lot about it's always sunny in Philadelphia, (laughs) actually. There's at the end of that guy's essay, there's like a chart that is going through the different alchemical elements corresponding to the five chapters of the novel and different animals. People went full before Lost existed. The Mm -hmm. Internet was doing Lost style deep dives on what might be happening in this book because there's a lot of imagery there's a lot of metaphor and yes it does seem like this man might be a ghost but we don't really ever learn about how that works it's just (laughs) a thing you know the cheap comparison point is sixth sense i think Mm -hmm. and i I when you say cheap do you just mean like the easiest and most like widely understood or what do you mean by cheap yeah um because there's a lot going on in this book 
that is not at all what's happening in Sixth Sense. Yeah, but, right. Like Bruce Willis, to my best of my knowledge, not involved. No, um, no, no too he's busy not recording. In too busy recording. In 1975, maybe he was too busy recording his amazing album, "The Return of Bruno." He's been working on it for ten years before it came out. <laughs> yeah. um, but it is the sense that maybe this character is not only hiding things from the reader but also is unaware of his own reality. Um, I mean, same, I guess, because I can't, I don't know how long ago I read any book that I've read. (laughs) Um, An early thing that the main character talks about, he says, um, he mentions that he had a stroke and that he needs to visit a doctor to get a checkup. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. He says, there is this to be said for doctors. They may be consulted, though dead, and I consult doctors Black and Van Ness, two different doc. And in that, look, look, they may be consulted though dead, could mean the doctors are dead, the man speaking is dead. It could mean both things are true. But I think, like, the thing that I pick up from that is, and then this happened in the Ziggurat too, is like, okay, if you were looking for a reason why this person might be unreliable or why they might not be remembering things properly or why their like point of view might be a little muddled, he had a stroke. Like the, the guy in the yeah. Ziggurat was, was going through like a very stressful divorce. Like th- yep. there are external, easy to explain and understand reasons for why they might be the way that they are that have nothing to do with them being a dead ghost. <laughs> <laughs> we later in the book, we finally get a scene with uh, Weir and Dr. Black. And so this is after several intermittent scenes of him visiting with Dr. Van Ness. And even in those Van Ness scenes, you get a little bit of like, what is he talking about? He's, he's, He's saying he hasn't had a stroke yet, but he wants the doctor to tell him about how strokes work because he knows in 15 years he's going to have a stroke. And the, you're like, is is he just imbalanced? Is he just a worry war? Is he a ghost? All that kind of stuff. Um, the Dr. Black scene, he starts talking to him about getting his throat checked up. He's supposed to be four years old in that scene, but he's like, doctor, have you studied metaphysics? And he starts mm-hmm. talking about metaphysics and he mm-hmm. starts talking about how he's going to die 60 years in the future. I, mean, I think that's the original woke toddler <laughs> thing is like your four-year-old turns to you and asks you about metaphysics. <laughs> and he start Now, the other thing to know um, at the beginning of this book is that uh, Weir is responsible for the death of Dr. Black's son, Bobby. Oh. Uh, and well, it's awful nice of Dr. Black to look past that and in, in providing care for him. Well, it's interesting because he does, it, it hasn't happened yet. Mm. Maybe cause times why me? Um, but <laughs> he tells Dr. Black that Bobby Black's not going to live more than a few more years. And Dr. Black's like, that's funny, weird kid. Like, let me inspect your throat. Um, again, unclear if that interaction with Dr. Black is even real or part of a, ghost hallucination yeah right um but it is i did find the there's a timeline for this book that attempts to attach years to the concrete events of the narrative 
very difficult to do that. <laughs> um, but the the broad sketch is that this little boy named uh, Alden Weir, when he's his family uh, had a lot of money that I think they were instrumental in like buying up the land for this town called Cashinsville in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Wolf grew up in Peoria in and around Peoria or something like that. There's probably an overlap there. Um, and it's the so only he's like, anybody would write about Illinois. Am I right? Hey, uh, go bulls. Um, hey. <laughs> and, uh, go cubs. There, I guess. there is this like back, not backstory, but a thing that gets referenced throughout the book is that the Weirs or maybe the this other family, the Blaines, um, kind of, you know, stole a bunch of land from the native tribes in the area and concocted this like fake treaty that they have uh, failed to live up to and um, kind of absconded with that land. There's also sure. threads of like various immigrant populations coming into the town and whether or not they are able to survive there. So like, I think the read, I'm going to take a quick diversion to just say that like the read that Gordon has of this book as being this like, you know, two or three generations removed from world war two, this kind of mid 20th century novel about what America is and what it's become and, and where it might be going. And it's this shambling thing of a thing that might have been great before or whatever like uh-huh. that all plays in the this rich family stole land when they emig- when they emigrated to this continent uh this one guy uh concocted a way to to get the sugars out of potatoes and make a orange drink out of it. And now the entire <laughs> town is just growing potatoes. And so now all their farms only grow potatoes. So now the, if there's a bad potato crop, it's going to wipe out the town, but everybody's reliant on the factory for the health of the town. Can't imagine where I've heard that story before. So like the, the implicit the story cr- of America. <laughs> I know. So there's a lot there to hang your hat on that isn't the copious ghost stories in the novel. The yeah. unreliable POV character who may or may not have killed a bunch of people in addition to Bobby Black. <laughs> See, that's the thing about that's the thing about these Gene Wolfe stories that we've read is that he'd quite like purposefully and. and like I think intentionally gives you a lot of different yeah off ramps yeah to the literal reading yes away from the supernatural like breadcrumb reading mm-hmm. and like the the way that my brain works I am and I I think that you know reading uh, Gordon's thing in the the L A Review of Books the way that I think her her mind is is working too is like I just find that the more appealing and and resonant way to read it like i I don't need it to be some kind of secret code to like find the value in what it's doing or or to like enjoy it on a narrative level sure i don't know yeah i so the one thing i mean not the people on the gene wolf reddit obviously think differently (laughs) but that's where that's where i'm coming yeah and I'm, i'm holding back on what i've read uh from gene on on what this book is good old gene uh from what this book is up to but the the things about this book that are about like 
Okay, so I mentioned that there's a whole bunch of ghost stories in this book. Oh, yeah. Multiple characters tell various fantastical tales to each other throughout the book. Um, I should mention before I like move on that the way that Bobby Black dies is it's they're at the top of some stairs, and uh, I think Weir is worried as a four-year-old or five-year-old, he's worried that uh, Bobby's going to mess up a painting of his ancestor or something, Okay, and they're wrestling at the top of some stairs, and then the scene cuts away, but then elsewhere in the book, it mentions that he fell down those stairs and later died. Um, and that that cutting away from the actual event is a is as I think I've mentioned like how the book operates. But so like all of yeah, these ghost sure. stories, somebody tells a story about uh, the banshee where this guy wants to marry a girl and his dad doesn't like him and he's like, all right, if you want to marry my daughter, you gotta spend the night in this haunted barn. And there's <laughs> and there's a ghost in there. And if you spend the night, she's gonna come out and try to choke you to death until you yell somebody's name and then she's gonna go kill that person. This sounds and like a bet. It is like a bet. And that story has like a rule of three and the the good guy kind of outsmarts the banshee a little bit, but not entirely. And he and his wife never have a kid because the banshee said they were going to have the antichrist. And then the, and then the, <laughs> we don't get to hear the end of the story. The story cuts off. Okay. Um, there's another story about it's a way to imply some kind of sinister thing going on without having to like make it. Yep literal i guess yep um there's a story called the princess in the tower which is less ghostly um it's a series of suitors coming to a princess kept in a tower and we are told that the fourth one wins but uh weir who is reading it as a child he doesn't get to finish the story and so we never get to go back to it um that story like a couple of them throughout the novel does parallel actual events where his aunt Olivia um, has a series of suitors, the fourth one of which is the one that she finally marries. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about him and his aunt Olivia is that she takes him in after his parents leave the country. This is in like the 20s or 30s, um, which may or may not be tied to the fact that their son killed another boy. Um, <laughs> they absconded to Europe and left him with his aunt. And he he loves his aunt a lot. And maybe in ways that aren't cool, we don't really get the full... Nice. Yeah, we don't get the... You know, if you've ever Cla- heard- a classic hot aunt situation, <laughs> and she does like him. This is his aunt. He's yeah, his aunt. Okay. I don't. You know, a lot is left unsaid in this book, <laughs> and maybe it should be left. Uh huh. Um, but we get these like these these parading male suitors coming through the book. We get Professor Peacock. Uh, we get Mr. <laughs> Who killed somebody with a candlestick in the den. Now, okay, so Mr. Peacock uh, does, I don't know if he did it on purpose, does kill Aunt Olivia uh, in a traffic accident uh, late, some That's point not serious. in the yeah. book. Mm-hmm. Um, we get Mr. Blaine. We get Mr. McAfee, not that McAfee, Who a different invented McAfee. antivirus and yeah. then... Okay. was a bad guy and um, then was an international fugitive <laughs> he and aunt vi have this whole little subplot in the first third of the book where they're 
in some sort of romantic relationship, but they're also trying to bid each other to buy a, a, a porcelain egg from a woman in town. Ooh, fancy. Um, and that, again, all that kind of stuff is the like small town drama stuff that's going on. And you're like, ooh, okay, well, this kid's getting some scary stories, and he did kill someone, maybe on purpose, maybe accidentally, we don't know. But, like, when's the spooky part going to start? Well, <laughs> this guy named Julius Smart shows up. Ooh, sounds smart. he is, he eventually marries Aunt Vi, but when we first meet him, that has not happened yet. He is at the 41st birthday party for Mr. McAfee, I think. And he starts telling this story about Mr. Tilly, who is a pharmacist that he worked for when he first got out of pharmacy school. And it is a, oh boy, I liked it. <laughs> it is kind of the centerpiece for me of, of like, of the book in terms of like, if you could pluck something out of this book and just like go read it elsewhere, like it would mostly function. You've got this guy who he literally like doesn't have a job as he gets out of school, starts going to towns and just accosting pharmacists until they give him a job. (laughs) (laughs) And he winds up working for this guy, Mr. Tilly, who's like, yeah, I live by myself. I'm kind of sad. You could work for me. I'll give you free room and board. And please don't go in the one room upstairs. Uh, And please, whenever you cook food for me, don't tell me it's my food until right before you give it to me because a ghost is poisoning me and turning me to stone. Okay. It might not be a ghost, Andrew. Mm -hmm. It might be... His wife, who he's locked in that room and he's concocting pharmaceutical experiments on so that he can supply (laughs) local carnies with drugs that will make them into like supernatural creatures so they can have better paying carny jobs. This story is absurd. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot going on. And... Here's another layer, Andrew. (laughs) No, not more layers. There's a reading of this story where Julius Smart is Mr. Tilly. Now, that's not explicitly (sighs) canon. Do you, I mean, do you find that compelling or do you just think that that's like fans finding stuff because they've been told to look for stuff it it's they've been told to look for stuff and it hinges on julius's name being julius t smart and throughout the story he refers to mr tilly as mr t a lot Ooh, pities the fool yeah he does pity the fool and i pity the fool who latches onto this theory because i don't think that it's (laughs) (laughs) but it is like it's part and parcel with what it is to read this book and what it is to like the next round of engage with this book, which is, Oh, some stuff is being kept from me. Let me dig deeper and find it. Ooh, I found something. What else can I find? Like if, if that sounds interesting to you as a reader, this could be a fun book for you. Okay. If you want just to be a little spooked and the, and the the some of the stuff in the Mr. Tilly story is like legit spooky like the the appearance of this may or may not be a ghost woman in the house and and all that stuff like it's pretty spooky um but like th- this is the most straightforward that the book 
gets, I think. Um, there's one other story that is not a it's not a retold story. It is a thing that happens to Weir. Um, well, again, maybe he's a ghost wandering through his memory palace, so it's all retold. But anyway, who can say? Who yeah. can say? Um, where a new librarian moves to town, Lois. And she's setting up. I mean, always, always a major event in any town when a new librarian moves in. She's taking over the library, and one of the things that she's doing is like acquiring interesting local genealogy information or local documents to put in the collection. And there's this guy named uh, I think his name is Lewis Gold, and there's some. The thing with Gold, he is revealed later to be a book forger. He has forged these uh, rare books, things that are he is selling internationally, things that he is selling right here in Cashinsville. Uh, he's doing it to make a quick buck, um, but also maybe to have some sort of lasting immortality through these fake texts, very Faustian bargain kind of stuff. Um, weird names that he is Jewish. He's the head of the only Jewish family in town, if or maybe one of the few, who knows? Um, and why is that connection being made? Um, it could, well, it is playing into some bad anti-Semitic tropes, especially in the readings of the book where Weir is like the devil and gold is wrapped up in some like Necronomicon texts and things like that. And that trope may be Weir's perspective, um, which kind of builds a bridge to it as uh, part of Wolf's broader interest in how some of the marginalized folks in Cashinsville have been displaced or otherwise mistreated, immigrants, the native population, things like that. Um, It's one of the ambiguities that had a bit more, like, tension for me more immediate tension that i wasn't quite sure what to do with would feel bad not naming that i don't know explicitly what to do with it yeah Um, i think it's i think it's fine to name it and not like if you diagnose it yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 um but this stuff with lois lois ends up buying this diary from uh, from gold that purports to include information on a buried treasure in town mm-hmm. after they go on a few dates, which is an interesting subplot because you're like, is we're a ghost? Who knows? <laughs> is this ghost? Is this a romantic ghost? <laughs> may or may not have been alive at the time. I don't know. Um, we're in Lois enlists. We're in like trying to track down where this gold might be. And we get a quick, snapshot when uh weir is confronting lewis about the forgery where he says you know we went to go dig this up based on the on the writing that you did which i now know to be false and i there was nothing there and i saw a glint of metal in lois's hand and then we started digging Mm -hmm. and then we never hear about lois ever again okay that's fine that's probably fine (laughs) In one of the Gene Wolfe wiki entries I was reading, it's like, yeah, Lois either was like kind of saddened by how this didn't work out and moved away, or Weir killed her and buried her in the ground where there wasn't gold. Like, (laughs) who knows? Um, 
And then like there's one other what happened here story that stood out to me where later in the book Weir is the president of this Tang factor. It's never called Tang in the book, but I know it's Tang. You got um, it. It's got to be Tang. I've had Tang in a long time. I don't know if I've ever had Tang. What if we tried to put Tang into a beer that we made? Okay. Okay. This, this, is, for, this is for later. This is a conversation for off mic. <laughs> but just like letting the readers know what we talk about in our yeah. own time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just like, just put a, put a bookmark in this one. There's a whole section where they're giving a reporter a tour of this Tang manufacturing plant. And again, reminder that they're extracting all the sugar from these potatoes that's slowly killing the town or something. Um, And they tell the reporter about this ghost that may or may not haunt their, what they call their cold house, which is like their big freezer unit. Uh, I don't know why they tell the reporter. That's what you would call it before you invented the word freezer. (laughs) This is my cold house. It's where I keep my meats. Uh, Weir's like right-hand man or or servant or something. Uh, Dan is like, hey, hey, reporter, you ever hear about the kid who died in this cold house? Let me tell you the story. Uh, He went in there and then the door kind of froze. The condensation froze. He couldn't get out and he died in there. Mm Mm-hmm. And the reporter's like, that's kind of scary. And he's like, yeah, we think there's a ghost. And the reporter's like, can I be alone in here for a little while? And just like, check it out. And Dan and Weir are like, I guess, let's go drink some coffee while he's in there. And Weir tells Dan, yeah, that wasn't, I mean, somebody played a prank on that kid and then he died uh, 20 years ago. And the person who was supposed to let him out got scared by all the noises he was making in there while he was trying to get out. And ran away, and then we found him three days later, and he didn't have a family, so no one came looking for him, and that's probably why there's a ghost in there now. And it is that's never there's made... There's a ghost in my cold house. It is never made explicit, though 75% of the articles I've read about this book seem pretty convinced that Weir was one of the people who pulled the prank and killed that boy. Mm-hmm. And... That may be why he was a he never got promoted at the business for twenty five years until his uncle uh, Julius Smart died and left the entire business to him, and now he's the huh. president of the business. Um, sure. And like when that happens in the story, I'm like, okay, there's a ghost in the cold house. What's happening here? I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure the narrator's a ghost. What is this telling me? I read a take, Andrew, that mm-hmm. the that the cold house story was Julius Smart locked Weir in the cold house and killed him, and then due to some reference to a part of a Lovecraft book in this novel, they fused into one person. Like, this is the kind of ghostly brain activity that this book inspires. I just don't, like, that's a lot of, that's a lot of leaps. It's a lot of leaps. And if, if Wolf, I mean, okay, so, so if Wolf is working all this stuff into the story, then it's awesome that he also worked in more like quotidian versions yeah. that, regu- <laughs> that regular people could enjoy <laughs> because if all of his books were just like giant, I don't know, just like 
ARGs with a million layers in them that, that normal people couldn't possibly hope to understand. That I don't, I don't think anybody's going to be reading and talking about Gene Wolf. So, the, but the, maybe, maybe that maybe that is part of the fun for him. Maybe yeah. that's what he is. Maybe that's what he is doing, and that's why there are so many valid readings. But, but I don't think I don't know. I don't think people on a Gene Wolf Reddit can really like be upset with us for not getting it when I hit maybe Gene Wolf is doing this on purpose. No, I, we're, we're you know? poking fun at the, at, at a fun community of people who like this guy and like, no. I, and then it's, we sound, I think we'd sound more bothered about it than we are. I think we're just flattered to be mentioned on yeah, anybody's fans. And we know, honestly. I know I'm letting them down. Like if they're fans, I know I'm letting them down, yeah. but I also, I feel a little wet, let down by the Gene Wolf wiki. Uh, because <laughs> hopefully not the same community that, that maintains both of those. No, because on one page there's a list that um has like a top level summary of the book, which is really unhelpful because this book is a nightmare prism. It's, it um, resists top level summaries. Yeah, obviously, there's, there's a list of all of the interpolated stories, which that I found very helpful, and it like has a specific link for each of the stories, some of which I've mentioned, and it has like a little interpretation of how it might relate to the other characters that we meet. Cool, 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 cool. Then there's a section at the bottom. The section's title is Secrets and Crimes. Then there's one sentence, or two sentences. There are a number of secrets, parentheses, Easter eggs, hidden in this book, as well as hidden crimes. Eventually, we should list them. Eventually. Eventually, we should list them. We should in, we should list the hidden crimes. Who, who lists, whomst among our listeners has edit access to the Gene Wolf wiki and will list these crimes with me. I will Isn't list Isn't the them. point of the wiki that you could do it if you wanted, or is it an invitation-only deal? Now, Andrew. What, Craig? I'm not out here just signing up for the Gene Wolf wiki I without an invitation. Just, my understanding of wikis is that they're intentionally designed to have a low barrier to entry sure maybe that's not the case for every fan wiki but yeah that's possible yeah like you don't we've edited wikipedia you don't need any credentials it's the wikipedia, wikipedia that anybody can edit you're right you're right, mm-hmm. right um but the the okay let me get to the gene wolf reveal here so in that please in that, please do and then we, we can wrap it up yeah in that q a um that i mentioned earlier they they don't talk about uh, peace that often. It is referenced briefly um, as one of Wolf's favorites, um, and he talks a lot about his other work. Um, he talks about unreliable narrators. Um, the interviewer says Alden Dennis Weir, the narrator of Peace, is unreliable in this particular sense. He's dead and doesn't know it. Wolf says he's a ghost. Ghosts often don't realize they're dead. That's the explanation of much of the behavior of ghosts that we find puzzling. Two things. He supports the ghost reading. Second, he seems to know what the hell is going on with actual ghosts. He's very assertive <laughs> with the point that he just made. Yeah, that's... Hmm, maybe Maybe Gene Wolfe was a ghost just walking among us this whole time. It's very possible. You haven't um, thought about that. I, I hadn't thought about it until this moment, and after reading this book, anything seems possible. So I so I wanted I just, to share like that. I don't I so the thing about okay I'm going I'm going to say one thing and then you can say your thing and then we'll be done saying things. Okay, is I, for Gene Wolf to take all of this trouble to layer multiple possible interpretations into his books 
And then to go out and do an interview where he's like, well, obviously there's this one correct interpretation, you idiot, does create a uh, disconnect for me <laughs> where I am like I've I have been more willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because he has the valid like. I don't know, like the, the, the valid, like deep interpretation and also the valid for dummies interpretation sure. of his books. But if he doesn't think that the for dummies interpretation is as valid as the other one, then I don't know. Where does that leave me? A dummy. Okay. I will disagree with you in by like an order, like a minor order of degrees. That I sounds think, like a great amount of disagreement. Yeah. Uh, to have on our podcast, I th- yeah, not like a lot, just a little. Yeah, no, I mean we have like a, a business relationship. A, we can't sous-sol of conflict. Um, <laughs> just a scotch. <laughs> I think that saying up front that the book is about a ghost does not uh, limit the imp- or it does not impede enjoying the ambiguity of the story. Okay. Um, I kind of went into this reading knowing that something was up because I triple checked a couple sources as we programmed it for Spooktober. I was like, this definitely has to be about some sort of ghost thing or else I'm not going to put it on the calendar. The schedule, yes, sure. So I, w- I came in knowing that something was up and I do think that there is a lot going on that works that is open to multiple interpretations while still being hey, this character is dead and doesn't know it. I still don't know the rules of his memory house. I don't know if you don't any even of know his... the rules of his cold house. Exactly. I don't know if his visits to Dr. Van Ness are real or not. I, Robert Borsky seems to think that all of those are taking place in some sort of uh, transitory doctor's office on the way to heaven. And he's got a whole system breaking every character down. <laughs> um, the... What murders did he not commit or did commit? I don't know. What exactly did he do to certain characters to get the money that he has? Um, All of the stuff that is a little wobbly about the book is still pretty wobbly if you know about the ghost thing and Mm -hmm. the stuff that is like pretty insightful about how a rich, rich families in small towns can kind of control and co-opt narratives about themselves and about the places in which they live for better and for worse. That stuff still works. Um, even if it's a ghost story or it's not like, I think you're right that there is like a real, there is a, uh, like a gravitational pull to a lot of the surface level readings because it gets at stuff that isn't genre E right. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, I think that it still works even if it is genre E. Um, at least that was my experience of it. Though I, I feel like I am now a Gene, a Gene Wolfe character and this podcast cannot be trusted. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that takes the pressure off of us if we can just always allude to some secret interpretation that you, the listener, are not understanding yeah, every yeah. time that we do something stupid. Exactly. It's not that yeah. I didn't get it. It's that the author doesn't want you to get it. Yeah, right. Two questions I'll leave the listeners to think about. Yeah, what this was- is trivia. You answer the questions and you come back next time with the... Yeah, well, these are... <laughs> we'll t- this, this is like kind of like essay questions. Um, sure. 
Okay. What would your pre-heaven hell house mind palace be? Would it be a rickety old house that you had to wander around in looking for your knife or would it be something else? And what are the stories that you tell but you leave parts out of them because they aren't your favorite parts? Like in this book, it's a lot of people leaving out the part where he murders someone. But yeah, maybe I think the way it's presented in the story, it is a little deeper and more universal in terms of like how we edit parts of ourselves. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, my cool like pre death house would be a cool tree house, obviously. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the story where I had omit bits is like pretty much anytime anybody would ask me how I met any of my college friends, <laughs> there's probably some element that's unfl- that reflects poorly on me as a 35 year old man. <laughs> Yeah. That I should leave off. I think I, I agree with you. That's probably would be a similar answer for me on the second question. I just had an impulse that my answer to the Hell House Mind Palace would be some sort of uh like roller like a like a theme park, like with different mm. areas that I did and did not plan to have there. Mm-hmm. And rides that did things that I wanted them to and parts that surprised me in scary sure. ways. Mm-hmm. So that's piece by Gene Wolfe. It may or may not kind be about <laughs> a book. Bu- uh, may or may not be about a ghost. It may or may not be about the soul of America. It might be about Pringles or Tang Pringle- or Tang. Just <laughs> losing my mind thinking about the Tang thing. Anyway, uh, Andrew, thanks for helping me discuss this book. I really needed a buddy on this one. You're Andrew. welcome. I'm happy to happy to help. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you, the listener, have any theories that we did not dive into, characters you think are the same people, or more evidence that uh, people are characters in this book are the devil, um, you can email us at overduepod at gmail.com. If you have another story that you think is a cool interpretation of the Faust legend, which maybe this book is, I didn't really talk about that, you can hit us up on Twitter and Facebook at OverduePod. Let's talk about Faust, baby. Thanks to Alicia, Mary, Robert, uh, Pim, Patrick, Ma- Marie, Connor, and James for reaching out in the past week. We do appreciate it. Thanks to Nick Larangis, who composed our theme music Andrew, if folks want to know more about this show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. Enjoy the rest of our Spooktober schedule. Next week I am reading Mexican Gothic by Silvio, Silvia Moreno-Garcia. And then the week after that, Craig is going to be reading Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado. And then we've got bonus a bonus episode on Haunted Ohio by Chris Woodyard, which I had nominated because Craig wanted to do some kind of like spooky story anthology thing. And this was a hyper local thing that I remember from my childhood that I would like to revisit with the adult with the eyes of an adult. Yeah, I'm excited for that. So, so yeah, hopefully it's a good time. Um We've got a Patreon page, patreon.com slash pod. If you want to join that bonus recording live and hang out with us, that's always a good time. Uh, there's a Patreon tier for that. There are also tiers for recommending books to get onto our list and for some other stuff. And I think that's it. That's it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for getting spooked with us. Until we spook you next time, try to be happy.
That was a HeadGum podcast. Jesus. Woo! Peace. 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 <laughs>